morning, Chili Bible. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Nice to get some rain yesterday and have a cool day, wasn't it? That was a good day. Yeah, am I on here, guys? I don't think so. All right. How about now? Is that better? Still not. Still nothing? Okay. Well, we got battery. Don't know what's happening. How about now? Okay. Well, anything? All right. Well, All right, well, we'll go with this one. We know it works, or at least it did till I threw it on the floor. Uh, back in May, um, the elders uh, made a decision to pursue construction and demolition on that room next door because uh, at that time we had enough money in the building fund to complete the basic structure that we wanted, uh, which would have included a door to the sanctuary, uh, pulling out the drop ceiling, uh, painting the walls and the ceiling, uh, putting in new lighting and ductwork, and opening up the uh, the wall there next to the hallway. And since then, what we realized as we took a look at our finances is that for a little bit more money, um, we could totally transform the room into a really beautiful space for fellowship, and uh, we could get new furniture. Uh, we could put in a fully functional coffee bar. We could put in a non-slip tile floor and some other little touches to make it not just functional, but really attractive and beautiful. And so last week, we had a congregational meeting, and we recommended to the church uh, that we uh, not just spend the money that was in the building fund, but actually pull out about up to $23,000. It may not wind up being quite that much. Uh, out of savings so that we could wind up with the enhanced version that we're hoping to ha hoping to have. Uh, the, the, uh, the church voted all but unanimously uh, among the members to go ahead and do that. And so we passed the facilities team with making it happen. And it looks like we, uh, we have a goal of being open and, and using the space by our um, 50th anniversary celebration on September 1st. It looks like we can make that happen, but I wanted to just tell you what needs to happen yet. Uh, there's a bit of drywall that needs hung, both on the east and west wall, as well as on the north wall above that opening. Um, and then our HVAC guys will have to come in and hang some new ductwork. It'll be that round, rigid duct uh, that you see there. Uh, we'll get the ceiling and the walls painted, the ceiling uh, up above, from about eight foot up all the way to the to the top, all the ductwork and everything will uh, be spray painted black, and it'll be kind of a kind of an industrial or a commercial look that that will have. 
there will be um, tile floor laid. Carl B.C. and some of his buddies are going to do that work for us. Uh, big 18-inch big tile. Uh, there will be uh, fans and new lighting installed. Uh, cabinetry will be put in, and uh, with the cabinetry, there will be electrical associated with that as it will have a refrigerator and uh, and some other things with it. Um, there will be a, a new commercial coffee maker machine that will be in there along with a hot chocolate machine that will be in there uh, that will be really nice, we think, for uh, for all of us. We're going to get a better grade of coffee than Bulger's. Uh, and those of you who like coffee will be able to drink it now. Uh, but we'll get, our, uh, we'll get our furniture in place, and then we'll be open. And there are a lot of details for that to come together uh, and happen by September, but we really think that all that's achievable, and we're really working to make sure that that happens. Have we got that other mic working? Okay, awesome. I really don't like to have to hold one. thing that happened at that meeting last week was uh, the elders laid before the congregation uh, the job description for our new associate pastor that will replace Pastor Jim. And if I could summarize what we're looking for, uh, what we're looking for is a youth pastor who is capable of playing music and leading worship for us. Um, We're looking for somebody who really does have a heart for youth, who wants to... um, see our youth group expand and reach out into the community and uh, to be a really exciting, vital ministry in our church. Um, we are currently conducting some interviews with, um, with three guys that we think really highly of. Uh, in fact, we've got an interview this Thursday night uh, for uh, the third of those three guys that we're talking to uh, at this point. And so I'd ask you all to be in prayer about these things, both the construction process as well as uh, our associate pastor hiring process. And I, I'm sure you already are, but I want to encourage you also to come and talk to me or to uh, one of the other elders if you have any questions or concerns about any of these things, because um, you know none of this, nothing in our church is secret, um, and uh, and we and we want everybody to be. Uh, well-informed about anything that's going on. Uh, Obviously, there's some things we can't tell you uh, at certain times, but we want to be as open as we can be. Um, The other thing I want to just bring up is um, you may have been looking at our bulletin and looking at our finances there on the back and want to kind of bring you up to date uh, with where we are. Number one, uh, two things are true. What you'll see is that, number one, we have slightly underspent our budget this year. So, in other words, we have spent less money than we had budgeted to spend. That's not bad. Uh, also, number two, that giving is also slightly less than the budget uh, actually requires. So, basically, where we are is we're about $1,200 ahead giving versus expenses, but about $100 low uh, per week Uh, giving versus budget. Um, So if we actually spend the budget, we'd wind up about $5,200 in the red by the end of the year. But honestly, for where we are in the year right now, we're in great shape, uh, particularly for this time of year since it is summer and a lot of people travel and all that kind of thing. Uh, But we also do need to continue giving faithfully so our good position that we're in now can continue. 
uh, all the way through the end of the year. We we are able to um, spend the money we need to to accomplish ministry and and to stay in good shape financially. So I'm really praising God for where we are. Uh, a few years ago, about this time, we were about twenty thousand dollars in the red, and um, and now we're actually uh, we're we're cash ahead on the year. And so that really is honestly. Uh, a demonstration of God's faithfulness to us as a church and um, and his work in your life to uh, to motivate you to give as as um, as we're commanded to do so. So I want to turn uh, at this point over to Genesis uh, and we're going to be looking at chapter 31 together today. And as you make your way there, I want to tell you that this chapter is an example of where Jacob starts to reap some of what he has sown. Uh, things do, you know, what goes around does eventually come back around. And uh, both both Jacob and Laban begin to taste the fruit of some of what they have been doing with each other. And um, Jacob is a believer at this point, but he's still very immature in his faith. He still thinks he needs to help God out with his various schemes to ensure that he gets the blessing that God has promised and today, what we're going to see is that 20 years of wrestling and scheming, uh, he and Laban against each other, are finally going to go south in a big way. And Jacob's chickens and Laban's too are finally coming home to roost. And so we're going to uh, look at the Word of God together uh, there, chapter 31. I'm going to start with verses 1 to 13. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are not we regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So here's the situation. Uh, by this point, Laban has sons of his own, and they are seeing that Jacob is prospering and getting larger and larger flocks, while the ones that belong to their father Laban are getting smaller and smaller. And, 
in the same way, Laban no longer considers having Jacob working for him to be a benefit. Uh, for the first 14 years of Laban and Jacob's relationship, Jacob was the one who was being taken advantage of. Uh, those 14 years were the bride price that Laban, I mean, that Laban insisted on Jacob paying to marry both of his daughters, even though Jacob only wanted to marry the first one, the younger daughter, Rachel. Uh, but Laban tricked him into marrying the older daughter and then made him work another seven years for the younger daughter that he wanted to be married to originally. Uh, but now, six more years have gone by, and Laban has been shifting what Jacob would be paid all this time. Initially, it started off with, well, let's start with all the dark-colored ones and all the spotted and striped ones. Those will be mine because those are the less common sheep. Well, then all of a sudden, all of the sheep and the goats start bearing dark-colored young. No matter what happens, all the white ones are even giving birth to dark-colored young and striped and spotted young. And Laban goes, well, we got to do something about this. So, well, how about just the striped ones? Well, then all, they, all the young they bear are striped. Well, just the spotted ones. Then all the ones they bear are spotted. Well, oh, okay, just how about these? Well, then whatever he calls it, that's what they start coming out. And over time... Uh, what you see is that God is intervening in the breeding process, and he is overriding even genetics to bless, to bless Jacob and to make sure that Jacob doesn't go home to his family empty-handed. And God comes to Jacob again in a dream and reminds him, Hey, remember me? I'm the God of Bethel, the God that you anointed a pillar to, the God who you saw standing at the top of that stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Remember me? Remember I promised to be with you, and I have been with you, and now you need to go, and I'll be with you even as you go. But Jacob is in a, is in a tough spot because he's in a foreign land. He's a foreigner there. Uh, he's been part of his father-in-law's house all this time. And it's not a guaranteed thing that the daughters that he's married are going to want to go home with him. They've never been to his house. In fact, he doesn't have a house. He had to flee for his life when he left. And so he wants to get his wives away from Laban and find out exactly where they're at. And so he calls them out to the, to the pastures, to the fields where he's got the flock, and he asks them, essentially, you know exactly what the situation is with your father. You know how he's tried to, to scheme and get one over on us as a family, and God has been blessing and protecting, but what do you think? I want to leave. What do you think? And they say, look, we know our dad is a cheat and a thief and a liar, and so... And we can see that God is watching over you and protecting you. And, and we're going to go with you. So if you decide to go, we're going. If you decide to stay, we're staying. But we're going with you. Uh, any inheritance that his daughter should have had was already spent. Laban had already spent it. 
And he treats them already as if they're not family. And so they said, well, look, we'll just need to recognize reality. If he's going to say that we're not family and treat us as if we're not family, then I guess we don't need to pretend that there is a family here anymore, and we just need to go. And so uh, why put ourselves in a position to be harmed anymore by our father? So they're going to go. Let's pick up the story there, verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee, and he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that have you tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to harm you. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you should take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it now jacob did not know that rachel had stolen them so laban went into jacob's tent and into leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants but he did not find them and he went out of leah's tent and entered rachel's now rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them laban felt all about the tent but he did not find them And she said to her father, Let my Lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. Here's what happens. Jacob packs up all that he's got, all of his possessions in an agrarian herding type society like this. You wouldn't have had very much in terms of concrete possessions. You'd have had a few maybe changes of clothes. Uh, You'd have had the uh, tents that you owned. uh, But all of your wealth is on the hoof, pretty much. And they pack up all their stuff. And while while Jacob uh, is looking for an opportunity, he finds one. Laban goes off into the fields to shear his own sheep herder, uh, his own own, uh, sheep herd. And... um, He's going to be out there a while. He's going to be busy. Now it's time to go. So they pack up in the night like people sneaking out of a hotel. <laughs> and they gather their junk and get gone. And they're, and they're gone three days before Laban realizes what's up. 
And, uh, and as they're leaving, Rachel takes the household gods. Now, these are little statues, little idols. And they had significance in a pagan culture, which Laban was a pagan. Uh, they had significance for two reasons. Number one, these things were believed to be what protected and watched over your house. And so each little pagan household had a little niche in the wall where they would set these things and these, these gods, supposedly, would watch over the house and make sure that you were blessed and that everything went well with you. But the other thing was this, that he who held the household gods owned the house and everything in it. And so Rachel is taking them, I don't believe because she believes in the protective power of these statues or the gods they represent, but because she thinks, I think, that she is owed the rest of what her father owns because she is married to the man that 20 years earlier when he came to town, Laban had adopted as his heir. And so she takes them along. We'll get out of Dodge now, but maybe later we'll come back after Pop is dead with the household gods and own all the rest of this. I think that's the thought. And she doesn't tell Jacob what she's done, but they flee. They make it across the Euphrates River, which is one of the, the two major rivers of the Middle East, the Tigris and the Euphrates. They cross the Euphrates. They're headed on into what later became a part of the land of Israel, uh, on the east side of the Jordan, which was part of the inheritance of uh, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Gad, had part of their inheritance on the east side of the river. And, and they, uh, they, they make it over into this area that called the hill country of Gilead. It's a great area to raise sheep, uh, as it happens. And they're kind of gently, as, as gently as they can in a hurry, driving their flocks across this area. And about that time, Laban catches up to them about the time that they, they're there. And the night before he catches them, God appears to Laban in a dream and says, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Uh, essentially what that means is you better leave Jacob alone. Translating the idiom into modern American English, that's what he's saying. You leave Jacob alone. You be careful to leave Jacob alone. I'm watching over him. And that turns the conversation a bit. Because when Laban shows up, he is, he is playing the role of the avenger. And he has brought with him, uh, his, it says his kinsmen, but these are probably not just members of his family, but armed members of his family, going to take back what is rightfully his. And since God has rebuked him in the night, instead of playing the role of avenger, he gets to play the role of hurt father and grandpa. And so he emphasizes in this little speech that he's giving, well, I wanted to send you away with celebration and affection. You know, we wanted to have a party and tambourines and lyres and, and you know, enjoyment. And I wanted to be able to kiss my daughters and my you know, my grandkids, goodbye. And you just took them away without so much as a goodbye. And how could you do that, Jacob? You cruel man. Um, the fact is, the only thing that, ta- that 
that keeps Laban from taking by force what he regards as his property is the fact that God has appeared to him and made him think twice about that idea. And then as he's going on in this little speech, he says he gets finally to the crux of the issue, which is, why did you steal my gods? Because Laban knows what these little idols mean. That he who owns the household gods owns the house. And he doesn't trust Jacob. And on top of that, as a pagan, the departure of his gods equals the departure of his protection and blessing. So in, in Laban's mind, he has lost literally everything. He's lost his daughters. He's lost his grandkids. He's lost his gods all in one swoop. And he knows that Jacob is one, finally, all their wrestling back and forth together, that Jacob is one. He's got to do something about it. But Jacob challenges him and says, look, point out what's yours from anything that I've got. You show me what belongs to you. Because everything I have is legitimately mine. You show me. And if somebody in my house has taken your gods, then they'll be put to death. Now, he doesn't know that Rachel, the wife he loves, has them. And so he searches all through the camp. And Rachel's a very crafty. She's learned from the best. And so she can... she. Uh, concocts a little lie uh, that the way of women is upon her and that makes everything that she is sitting on unclean. None of what she is sitting on can be touched and on top of that it would indicate to a person of that culture and area that anything she was sitting on was not only unclean but if it was a divine thing like an idol that it wasn't really a god at all because a god would never allow themselves to be defiled in that kind of a way and so she takes the last significant thing of value that he has as payback for her remember um, he had betrayed her by marrying off her older sister to the man she loved And so 20 years later, she takes the last significant thing of value he has and defiles it. What goes around comes around in this family. This is not something to celebrate necessarily, but this is in fact what happened. Uh, Now, the story goes on, verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. And what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen. They may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams from your flocks. What was torn by a wild beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat of the night consumed, the heat consumed me and the cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. And these 20 years I've been in your house. 
I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you'd have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters, for these my daughters, or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap and ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jager Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galib. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he called it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me. When we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters, if you take wives besides my daughters, though no one is with us, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do me harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country, and early the next morning Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. Basically what happens in this little part of the story is that Jacob lets Laban have it with both barrels. And 20 years of pent-up anger and bitterness and hurt over 20 years' worth of serial betrayal and theft come pouring out of his mouth. Laban, you made me pay the cost for any animals that died or were stolen. You made me pay an exorbitant bride price for not just the daughter I wanted, but for the second daughter that I didn't. You switched my wages among the flocks time after time, and if God hadn't been with me, I would have had nothing to show for 20 years of labor, night and day, sleepless nights, and all the rest of it. And then God finally stepped in and rebukes you, and now you have the gall to come in here and accuse me of stealing. And Laban's response basically is to say, well, everything you have came from me, so it's mine. You may not have stolen it, but it's still mine. And legally, he knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on, but since he and Jacob are basically at war, he says, well, let's make a covenant, and we'll draw a line between you and your family and me and mine. And basically, what it, what it, it's like little kids, you know, that maybe boys you know, have to share a room or whatever, and they put one bed on one side and one on the other. And they've got duct tape down the middle of the floor, okay? This is kind of the idea of what's happening. And we're going to build this rock pile and this pillar, and you stay on that side of the rocks, and I'll stay on this side of the rocks. Don't you come over on my side of the rocks, okay? I mean, essentially, that's what happens. And, and he says, and you, as long as you stay on your side I'll, and I'll stay on mine, we'll have, we'll have peace. And... Laban makes Jacob swear in God's name. And notice something. This is, this is interesting. Laban not only claims everything that belongs 
to Jacob, he even claims the rocks that Jacob set up. The text says Jacob set up a pillar and he told his kinsmen, gather rocks. You know, it's the members of his family that are making the pile. And then Laban says, look at verse 51. See this heap and this pillar which I have set up between you and me. In other words, he won't even let Jacob have the rocks. <laughs> he is a... He, he is a guy that over everything he sees is like a three-year-old child and says, mine. But he and Jacob are at war, essentially. And he says, this is going to be the boundary marker between you and your family and me and mine, and you stay on your side. And the last thing that happens is they eat a meal together, which is the seal of the covenant. That's what you did. After you made your covenant, you ate a meal together, and that sealed the deal. It was a whole lot more binding than a handshake because... As you ate a meal together, what you were essentially saying is we are at peace. Even though they're not at peace, and the conditions of the covenant essentially are, you cross over here, pal, I don't know what might happen to you. You might find yourself at the bottom of a cliff. Um, but they eat the meal. Laban kisses his his uh, his grandkids and his daughters goodbye. Notice he does not have any affection for Jacob, and then he leaves. And Jacob and his family are out in the desert by themselves. And you might be wondering how exactly this passage might have any bearing whatsoever on your life. Um, but I'd like to point out a few things here that are important for us to... Number one, and, and, and this is the thing, you need to read the Bible through these eyes. Um, and what I mean by it is this, is that you may think as you read a story like this, well, Jacob is the hero of the story and Laban is the antagonist. Not true. God is the hero of every story in your Bible. God is the hero. And God is the hero here because as we've seen, Jacob is not a man that you'd like to emulate your life after. It is because of God's character, not Jacob's, that the covenant is made. And we want to see some things about God in this text. Number one, that God is the God who provides. If it had been up to Laban, and, and it, is, it is surely the case that Jacob would have left home empty-handed from Jacob's house. I mean, from Laban's house. If, he, if it had been up to Laban, Jacob would have gone back to his father with nothing, maybe not even his wives and children. Uh, Laban was a cheat and a thief from the word go. He changed Jacob's wages, not just about which daughter he got to marry and for and how long he'd have to work in order to marry the daughter that he wanted, but also he kept switching Jacob's wages in terms of the flock. And yet God was sovereign in all that, and he was the one who ultimately ensured that Jacob was protected and came out blessed in the end. And you know what? God is still sovereign, and he still provides, and he still watches over those with whom he has a covenant. And the Bible says that God has made a new covenant and that we are beneficiaries of it through Jesus. And God still provides. You know, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but a few years ago the economy tanked. And a whole lot of people began to wonder how they were going to make it because their wages got changed, maybe from a relatively good wage down to zero or something like that. 
And a lot of times, years worth of work that went into acquiring various things, houses and other stuff, was all gone. Just gone. Where did it go? I don't know, but I I don't have anything to account for all the years of labor. But God is still faithful, and He still watches over His people, and He still ensures that we come out blessed in the end. Because the final accounting is not done. Second thing I want you to see out of this text, that God protects His people. God directly intervened on Jacob's behalf. He warned Laban that Jacob was his special person, and so Laban better watch his step. And that act saved Jacob's family, saved his possessions, it possibly even saved his life. And God doesn't usually act in that kind of a dramatic way, but he still keeps watch over us, and nothing, hear me on this, hear me on this, nothing happens to us that doesn't first pass through God's sovereign, gracious fingers. Nothing that happens to us is outside of God's control. Nothing that happens to us comes without having first come by grace from Him. Last thing, God is the God who keeps His promises. God had promised to be with Jacob and to bless him and to give him a large family. And you know what is revealed in these stories as you read them? That all of God's promises are kept. Jacob gets a large family. He gains wealth. He gains great material blessings along with spiritual blessings. And God is with him, especially when the chips are down. And what's more, God keeps all these promises not because of Jacob's great obedience, but in spite of his great disobedience many times. And so here's what I know for sure, that God's promises to you and me are trustworthy and are going to be kept also. What he says to us in his word is absolutely trustworthy. It's absolutely trustworthy. Find a page with a promise given to you, and you find a promise God is keeping. So when the Bible says, as an example, that Jesus really does save from sin by grace through faith, He does. When you find that the Spirit gives spiritual gifts and puts us into churches so that we might use them, He does. When you read that you are blessed in the here and now and rewarded later for how you love and serve the Lord, you are. When you hear that Jesus is coming back as the judge of the living and the dead and that his reward is coming with him for those who love him and have followed him and feared him for their lives, he will reward and bless those. And when, he sa- when it says that he is coming in judgment for all those who are wicked and who have rejected Christ and who are content to stiff-arm God until the end of their days, that he is coming in judgment for them too. And the scales of justice will balance. And the dwelling of God will be with men. And he will be their God. And he will dwell with them forever. And God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes. All those promises are true. If God can keep his promises to Jacob in spite of all of the sin and scheming and cheating and lying and all the rest of it. Don't you think it's possible? In fact, don't you think it's true? 
God is going to keep His promises to you and to me. He is and He will. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for what we learn from Jacob's life, not examples to imitate mainly, um, but the fact that You are the hero who protects, provides, keeps, pursues, saves, loves, in spite of what kind of people we are. You are a God of grace, a God whose sovereign plan is always accomplished, and a God who loves us based on your character rather than ours. And Father, we thank you that you are the kind of God who is supremely worth worshiping and giving glory, honor, and praise to. And we do that, Father, in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. Right, I have the privilege of celebrating communion with you. So if I could have those who are going to help us come forward.